Amen. You guys would be turning in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter two. Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. And if you are able, if you would stay. But I determined this for my own sake that I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one whom I made sorrowful? And this is the very thing I wrote to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice. Having confidence in you all that my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment which, has inflicted, which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him lest somehow such a one be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for him, for to this end also I wrote that I might put, to you, put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things, but whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning, Father. We want to offer worship to you. Lord, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. Lord, that you would bless our hearts with understanding. Father, we ask that your name be glorified only in this place this morning. These things we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. This morning uh, we're back in 2 Corinthians and we're seeing Paul is writing a letter instead of visiting. And here he kind of tells us why. The first time he wrote to the Corinthians... He had some pretty scathing things to say, some hard words. And it would seem this time he would have some more hard words, especially if he were there in person, he's afraid. Now, this morning, it would seem that the focus of this section not only is 
to be wise with your words, but also to be ready to forgive. When Paul is writing to them, and he's talking to them about being made sorrowful, and he says, if I come to you and I am sorrowful, who will be there to comfort me except for the ones that I have been sorrowed by? And so it was seen that this letter is in lieu of his presence in order for him to be able to think about what he wants to say and to say it well. Now, sometimes we are guilty of saying things in a way that is off-putting because we don't think. You ever heard of word vomit? Have you ever had it? I tell you what, uh, it seems like the the culture today is so much different uh, in the fact that we can communicate without talking to one another or without writing, but when we write to one another, it's in real time. You know, text messages, instant messaging, social media, things like that. And you don't have to think as much about what you're saying when you're texting. And that comes through on my text messages probably pretty often that he didn't think very hard about how he said that. You know, and, you know, for that, we've even been cursed with the gift of emojis. So we don't have to think about what we're saying and how it sounds. We just throw an emoji in there and they see, oh, he's laughing. So I get it now. It gives, it gives voice to what your text says. And not saying that's a bad thing, it just might be a lazy thing uh, as far as thinking about what we say. But Paul here wants to address them in a way that is careful. Not to bring them too much sorrow, not to simply blurt out everything that he sees wrong with their church. And he figured the best way to do that was in writing this letter. That he can carefully select his words, that he can not only admonish them and exhort them, but rebuke them in healthy ways. If we could only show so much restraint sometimes, right? I can remember uh, uh, my dad. I'm, I'm not sure if Houston Nutt ever knew who he was. But if he would have called, my dad had all kinds of tips for how to coach the Arkansas Razorbacks. <laughs> all kinds of plays they should have run. And all kinds of things he yelled at the television during the games. Now, dad was not a football coach. He was probably the furthest thing from a football coach. But he couldn't hold it back. I mean, in hindsight's twenty twenty, especially when you're on the television. He was brave because he was yelling at a television. It's different when you're yelling at a television versus there in the moment making decisions. The television gives you grace. You can change your mind and it hurt no one. But once you've said what you've said, if, whether you thought about it or not, it's done. 
Now, Paul's also going to address in this forgiveness. And it would seem, according to a lot of commentators, let me ask, how many times are you supposed to forgive? Seven times, right? Oh, seven times 70. Is that enough? I don't know about y'all. I went to school in El Dorado, and seven times 70 is a big equation, so... But I think it's supposed to be more than 490. Is that right? Everybody's shaking their head like they didn't do the math. <laughs> Tyler's excuses, he went to junction, see? You're setting the standards high, Tyler. But think about it. Forgiveness is something that we often withhold. Now, it would appear that they might be referring to the man that had been in the adulterous relationship with his stepmother. Remember from 1 Corinthians? That's some different level drama we don't need. No one wants to have to deal with that stuff. And guess what? Clearly it happens. But Paul was telling them then that this man needs to be put out. He needs to be disciplined. He needs to be, he needs to be put out of the church in order that he might once again be reconciled. Now it would appear here that reconciliation might have been delayed. Is that right either? So I was thinking about this, talking about being careful what we say, how we say it, and being faithful to do the right thing whenever the right thing needs to be done. Okay? Careful how we say and what we say it because we can't take those words back and we're depending on the forgiveness and the forgetfulness of the one we say it to, whether they be strong or weak in faith, in order to forgive what we've said. That's why we have to be careful. That's why I believe Paul saw wisdom in him writing the letter instead of going in person. I want to be careful with what I say. I want to say the right thing the right way, admonish them, build them up, and also discipline those who need discipline. It's the same thing for us. And he calls them on that. He said, I'm doing this as an example He gives them this, and then he goes into forgiving someone that had done a heinous thing, but they have shown great sorrow for it. Now, who in here is without sin? I would ask you to raise your hand, but don't do that to yourself. Who in here is without forgiveness? Maybe this will narrow it down. Who in here is unwilling to forgive? Those who have been forgiven should always be ready to forgive. Those who have caused great sorrow to God yet have been forgiven 
by faith through the work of the Son of God. That's why Adrian's reading there was really important there in Mark. It is the Son who has been offered on your behalf for forgiveness. How can you withhold forgiveness from someone else? People offend us. They really do. You can say sticks and... What's the little kid's chance? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Worst lie you've ever heard. They may not break your bones. They may not bruise you, but they do wound you. And if you like an overthinker like me, those words roll around in your head for a while and they become something they never were. And that might be more on me than the person who said it, but that's why we need to be careful what we say. Careful how we do things. We've got to be careful how we live. We have to be careful how we interact with people. We talked in Sunday school this morning about being sensitive to your surroundings. Uh, We talked about Tyler's uncle who was in the, the foreign country who used the wrong hand to get food with because that hand was used for something else. He didn't know that. He wasn't there as a permanent missionary. He was visiting. But that's something that became something that was offensive to those people to the point that they were ready to break fellowship. That's why we have to be careful. The gospel is offensive enough. Don't let your quirks and anecdotes be something that builds a wall between you and someone else. And if you are in Christ and you are a Christian, don't let someone else's quirks and anecdotes be something that you cannot forgive. Now let's talk about the church discipline aspect of this. I believe it starts here in verse 5. It says, but if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order to not say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment which is inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him, lest somehow such a one be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things, but whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Church discipline. That's what this man would have experienced. That's what we would call it. That's putting someone out. Excommunication. You know, you don't make them wear a red uh, letter on their jacket or anything like that, but you put them out of fellowship. But this is to be done in a certain way. One, they should know what their offense was. Two, the offense should be something that you can prove biblically as a sinful behavior that they have not repented of. As a matter of fact, the scripture gives us steps that we should take in order to appeal to a brother who may be living a life of sin. 
how one should go and then two and then three and then bring it before the church that they might be urged to repent and turn away from these things. And if those things don't work, you turn them out. But what happens when you've turned out the brother and he's gone out into the world and he immediately starts to become sorrowful, become exceedingly repentant of the things he's done. He sees that being put out of the church is a bad thing, that what he's doing has required this of him, that he be put out of the church by those who were his brothers and sisters in Christ. And what he has done is offended the Lord in his behavior. Then he begins to grow exceedingly sorrowful. What do we do? If he's repentant, you comfort him and bring him back in. You forgive. As Christ has says, he forgave. Here's the trouble. What happens... In rural South Arkansas, if someone gets put out of a church, I'll just go to the next one. Bunch of hypocrites over there said I couldn't come back. And guess what? There'll be somebody at the door of that church. Get in here, man. Get in here and worship. Now, what are they doing to this man? They're building him up in his sin. They're comforting him in the very thing that caused him to be broken in fellowship from someone else. If the thing that he was doing was biblically seen as a life of living in sin and he's been turned out of the church, any other church that welcomes him in open arms back into full fellowship as taking of the Lord's Supper and membership and things like that is doing nothing but comforting him in his unrepentant life. Because the worst thing that can happen around here is someone be mean to you in your church. It defeats the purpose of what God has put forth in his word. Actually, having so many churches is probably not a good thing. Because we have so many different places that we can run and hide. So many different places that the people there will be glad to have you. And guess what? They'll require nothing of you. If you give a little bit of money every now and then and fill an empty spot to get the stats up, we're good. If they don't care, then why should you? If they don't want to know who you are and they're just glad that you showed up this morning, The trouble is, we're doing the same thing the Pharisees were doing. We are crossing hill and valley 
miles of terrain to make someone twice the son of hell as they were before. That's why we have to be careful what missions we support. These people that come into your workplaces asking for money on behalf of the Lord. I remember I asked one, I said, well, do you have a statement of faith or something, what you believe? And they're like, yeah, I've got it right here. Handed me a little flyer. And I said, okay, you can go back through and just come back by and stop. And uh, I'm going to read this first. I'm reading this and I'm like, this is terrible. But they went up front in the name of the Lord gathering money. And they're going to go preach this somewhere. And I can't fund that. That would be like me giving money to a Catholic school. I can't fund that. We have to be careful. We have to be careful in this church. That we don't just comfort someone in their sins that's been kicked out of another church. We have to be careful in this church that what we say is true. What we say actually has some weight. I can remember being a, a, a boy and, you know, sitting through the service and I would have a pain in my neck by the end because I checking that clock right over the door. And I learned after five, probably 10 years sitting under one preacher, when he says we're closing, it does not mean that we're closing. <laughs> I think it was just one of his favorite words. We would start closing 15 minutes in and finally 45 minutes later we'd be done. But still, all I was worried about was how much time it took. I didn't really know what he said. I tuned out a long time ago. I didn't really care all that much if it was a sermon that I'd heard before I'd just go back start reading the book of Revelation and let the dragons and all that stuff get the wonder going in my mind I'd draw I'd paint I'd do whatever and as long as I was quiet and still it was okay with everybody else too but think about what we do how we do it We have to be disciplinarians, but we also have to be ready to forgive. And both of these things are standards that are set by God and not by us. We don't get to hold grudges, and we don't get to discipline things that are none of our business. We don't get to make up our own rules. We don't get to th take things how we go, but we need to act on our convictions as it's been inspired by the Scripture. Because if we don't, it is sinful. Now what's Paul doing? I believe he started off with an example of him wanting to be careful in order to show them how they might need to receive their brother again. 
He's like, look, you did the right thing. Now continue in doing that. And it's the last part of that verse that is the real hook. It's the real snare that you have to watch out for. Let's look in verse 11. It says, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. That way you don't become puffed up. That way you don't get to say, well, we are the authority. Because you end up with, again, a Roman Catholic version of Southern Baptist. We don't get to be proud. We don't get to be bolsterous. We don't get to be the determiner of what does and does not constitute both excommunication and forgiveness. We are simply messengers. In all things, though, we need to be careful what we do, how we do it, what we say, and how we say it. Don't let our tone or our attitude be perceived as something that might be brought against us later. Don't let our egos, don't let our voices become voices of Satan and not of God. We have to speak where the Bible speaks, that is true. But where the Bible doesn't speak is where you have to be careful. So what do we do today? How do we go against the idea of losing people and them just jumping somewhere else? You say, how do you do church discipline and keep a role? How do you do love for someone and we do this with our children we, we don't worry about them running off to another mom and dad when we discipline them right it, they feel their sorrow and they come sit in whose lap ours that's the intention here we want to keep people coming back to the house of worship but not at all cost. Because if we keep them coming back and comfort them in their sins, what were they here for anyway? Think about this. I can kind of reflect back on, on childhood. You remember talking to your buddies at school about whippings? I don't know about y'all, but according to us, when we were around our friends, our dads were beating us to death. 
One of your friends was like, man, my daddy tore me up last night. Let me tell you something. Your daddy ain't tore you up. What do you use? A belt? Man, we got extension cords and clothes hangers. Mom, maybe that was mom. No, no, no. Dad, dad, he used a shovel. It's kind of like who has the toughest dad. You know, your dad can beat everyone up. For some reason, we never ran away. Now, looking back, I'm thinking that he probably didn't whoop me near enough. And half those lies I told my buddies, they, they probably should have been more reality. Maybe I would have straightened up a little bit more. But on the other hand, no matter what, he was always your dad. And he's always the one you wanted to please. If you have a father who is in heaven and you are his child, it is good that we would want to please him and not ourselves or our petty differences. It is good that we would want to forgive our brothers and sisters just like they used to get on to us when we were kids about it's good that we would want to be held afterward comforted there's many ways in way our, in, that our earthly relationships with our fathers should reflect the reality of our relationship with our heavenly father But we must do these things. What happens whenever you spare the rod? You spoil the child. The problem with a lot of churches and with myself in my life is that I was spoiled. There was no rod. There was no discipline. There was no one there who cared, really as long as I was quiet and still. I could answer the questions on Bible trivia. Especially if they had a movie about it. That's not the point. Love one another. Forgive one another. Call one another where you need to be called. Making sure that the beam in your eye is not bigger than the splinter that's in theirs. Hold one another accountable only to the word because that's the only place you have the privilege to speak from. Now, most of all, whenever someone shows sorrow for what they've done, be there willing to comfort them. Point them back to Christ as you yourself are on that same journey. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you say it, but always let your words be true. As musicians come this morning, the best thing we can be is truthful. The best thing we can be is exactly what Paul gave us an example of being, exactly what Peter has showed us. 
exactly what the Lord has showed us in the gift of His Son. And exactly what our earthly fathers are supposed to be a reflection of. May that be what comforts us. May that be what we stick to. May that be what we hold to. And may that be the voice that we speak from as that has been given to us by God. So if you would, grab your hymnal. We're going to sing I Surrender All. It's on 275. And if you would, stand. house this morning. It's good to go to the Word together, to sing. It's been especially good. I think the song service was really good this morning. Um, is there any announcement before we dismiss? All right. We've got Wednesday night at 6 if you're able to make it. We're still going through the book of John. We've been 
reading John at home, uh, and Nora gets mad at me. She told me the other night, she said, Dad, you just read it again. I said, what are you talking about? She said, what you read the other night at home, you read it again at church. So, good you were paying attention. I was like, yeah, but we're going through John at church. She said, we're past that. Not at church, baby. At home we are. Anyway, so it's good to know that they do pay attention. Even the small little things in life, you read them again and again and again. Never gets old. All right, and there's a birthday, at least one, right? Andrew. Taylor and Fallon, too. Fallon Taylor. and Taylor. <laughs> And Granny. Granny will be next. You go to the. Boy, it's a little messy. I'm really close already. Your Granny's been next week. Double double the offer. All right. <laughs> she said, "Oh, I can't play that." <laughs> Thank you, Millie. You did awesome, honey. Take the Miss Alma join me. <laughs> All right. Was there any anniversaries? Still too close, huh? All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Let's be dismissed and uh, let's be faithful to walking in the light of what God's Word says each and every day, not just for an hour or two here. So uh, let's pray together. Brother James, would you lead us, please, sir?
see fit or as we not have this war that's going on now. Lord Jesus, we know that y'all are you are truly in charge. It's not our will, but thy will be done, Lord. But we also pray for those that are the enemy or the Russians. We pray, Lord, that their hearts might be softened, that they might hear the word and receive it gladly. And Lord God, we just pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us as a nation to turn back to you, for we turned our backs on you. Lord, we pray that you would receive us once again, that we might humble ourselves before the years on, and that everyone should know, Lord, that you are God, the one, the one and only, the I am that I am. And Lord, we give you praise and glory and worship. For in your precious holy and righteous name we pray. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>